My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. No matter what time you're listening to this, we want to thank you so much for joining us for the Faith 168 podcast. Today we're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 2. My question for you today is, how is your love? And I know that's a a weird question to ask, uh, but oftentimes we get caught up in in our daily lives and uh, the struggles and the temptations and the trials and the persecutions of of our days, and uh, we do our best to to serve God, and we do our best to keep His principles, His precepts, His commands, and oftentimes I think as we do that, uh, we we put ourselves um, in a spot where we're if we're not careful in the mundane of serving God. We lose our love, the love that we had at first. And so we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to see what Jesus himself has to say uh, to the church of Ephesus. Uh, this is the same church that Paul would write the, church, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. Um, and we're going to see here what Jesus has to say to this church. Ephesus was a, a great um ministry for Paul, and there were many great things that happened in Ephesus. Paul was able to to see um, the church grow, and many souls were saved, and lives were changed, and God um, had uh, definitely had some good things to say about Ephesus in the letter. However, there's one negative thing he has to say about Ephesus, and that's that they lost the love they had at first, and that if if they did not get that love back, that that Jesus would take back their candlestick, that he would remove their candlestick. And so let's go ahead and jump into God's word together here in Revelations chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Uh, this is what the word of God says, write to the angel, and this word angel is the word messenger. And so whether this is uh, the actual angel of the church of Ephesus, or if it's um, the messenger or the pastor of the church of Ephesus, uh, either way, there is a, a messenger that is going to take the the words that John writes down while he's uh, while he sentenced to life on a, a prison island called Patmos. This angel is going to take the message that John writes down that he hears from Jesus, Jesus being the author, uh, John being the penman, and then the angel being the messenger that's going to take what John pins directly to the churches. And so write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, this thus says the one 
who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, this is a reference back to Revelation chapter 1, where we see that when, when John sees Jesus, he sees him, and around him are these seven candlesticks, or these seven golden lampstands. And the lampstand is representing a church. So there are seven churches represented here, and there are the seven churches in Asia Minor, one of those being Ephesus. And the, the stars that are around those lampstands are the, are the angels of the seven churches. We can look and see um, that throughout the word of God, that the word angel means messenger. So whether this is the actual uh, angel, like a, a heavenly being, or whether this is like a pastor or an elder or a, or a teacher that is going to take the message from Jesus written down by John and taking it to the church, or whether it's it, uh, either way, we see uh, that, that Jesus is surrounded by seven golden lampstands and seven angels or seven messengers uh, that is uh, representative of the seven stars. And so what we see is a picture here that the one who holds those in his hands is Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, isn't it a good thing that Jesus holds us in his hands. There's no safer place to be than in the hands of our Lord and Savior. But uh, getting back to the text, and so this is, is Jesus who holds the, the candlesticks as well as the stars in his hands, but not only does he hold them in his hands, but he walks among the seven golden lampstands is what verse two tells us. That is, that is really neat to me, because when I look at Genesis and I see uh, God creating everything, and then I, I look and, and I see in chapter three that, G, that that God in the form of a man is walking and talking with Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and to know that after Jesus saves us and he, he puts us in a church, that he walks among us just like he intended to do in the garden. Isn't that a good thing that we can have a personal relationship with the one who hung the moon and the stars, the, the one that sustains everything by his word, the one that created all things, uh, the one who sustains all things, and the one who's uh, bringing all things together for the good of those who are called by, by his name. And so it, it's awesome that he walks and talks with us. He says, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. There are a lot of churches and a lot of godly men and women that I know that are, are doing their best to do what God has commanded them to do. They're doing their best uh, to to reject the worldly ideologies that are so prevalent today. They're doing the, their best not to let evil ideologies and evil people uh, into their spheres of influence or into their churches or into the minds of their children. Um, and these are, are really good things, and God commends the church for doing that. And, and I want to commend um, all of God's people who are doing that right now. That is a good thing. It says, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. 
And so look, these people are are doing good things. Uh, they, They are proving that they have the Holy Spirit because they have fruit. What is their fruit? Their fruit is obedience. Their fruit is faith. Their, their fear fruit is trust, and their their fruit is is doing what God has called them to do. So there's evident of the Holy Spirit, and, and God is commit Jesus is commending them here at this point, that saying you have have done these great things. He says, I know that you have per, uh, persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. If you are listening to this and you are doing the best that you can to follow Jesus, to do what he's commanded you to do, God is happy. He is pleased that you are following after him. He's pleased that you do what he's commanded you to do. However, we have to understand that that the way that Jesus has saved us is not through our works. And so what happens oftentimes when we when we strive and, and and work and work and work to please God, what happens is um either one we fail and when we fail we feel so guilty and uh, and so ashamed and so broken that we feel like we have to do 10 times better the next time just to make up for what we've already done. Or we start to to get good at doing good things. And so then we get up on a high horse and we, we cling to these good things that we do. And we talk about how good we are and we start forgetting that we need Jesus just as much as everybody else needs Jesus. And, and both of these are extremes and, and extremes that can be used by Satan himself uh, to distract the Christian from doing what God has commanded us to do. That is to be the shining light, the city on a hill that, that shines its light for all to see. It, it's the one that goes, it's the, the beggars uh, who who go out into the streets and invite other beggars to come to the table of our Lord. It's the sinner who goes to other sinners and says, there is salvation in the name of Jesus, the one who who was, who is, and who is to come, the one who was dead but now is alive forevermore, who is at the right hand of the Father um, in a position of power and strength and authority. And so we, we often forget who we are and what we've been called to do. You see, we try to work to please God, and, and working does not please God, or let me say it this way. Our work does not please God. The The best I have to offer, offer, the best brother Christian has to offer, the best you have to author, offer to God is, is filthy rags. It, it, it's, it's uh, Paul would say is, I counted all my works, all my good things, all my education, all my prestige. I counted as, as dog dung. It, it, it is dog poop. To me, it's worthless. Why? Because none of it matters. What matters is our faith. And when we have faith in Christ, his work has been accredited to our account. And God is pleased with us, not because of our work, 
but because of Jesus's. Does that mean that we shouldn't work? By no means. We we ought to want to work for our Father because He's our Father, and we want to do everything we can to please Him. I'm not saying that at all, but we have to understand, and, and we, especially in in the Western uh, religious world, the the Western Christianity, we have to understand that if we're in Christ, we do please God, and we can enter God's rest. We can enter God's Sabbath, and that is the precious blood of Jesus that that was poured out for you and for me, and we find rest not once a week, not even once a day, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, we rest in Christ. And so we please God simply by who we are, that is children of God because of the blood of Jesus, because of his work. And so we have to be careful that when we do these good things, that we don't sink down when we fall and, and feel so guilty and ashamed because Jesus bore not only our, our sin, but our guilt and our shame. Jesus took it. If we would give it to him, we could walk in freedom that we've never understood before, uh, but too often we like to cling on to it. Or on the other extreme, uh, oftentimes we get this big head, and when we get the big head, then we start forgetting who uh, we were and what we've been called to do. Um, I, I love the the story that Jesus tells about uh, the wedding feast and how there's this going to be there's going to be this big feast, but everybody that's invited, aka Israel uh, and and uh, all of the people throughout history that uh, that God had had chosen in Israel, they they were invited to the wedding, but they didn't show, um, and so so the the wedding attendant goes out and tries to get more people and they don't show and so finally he goes to the sinners he goes to the beggars and he says come and, and join us i'm one of those beggars i'm one of those sinners and so are you we can never forget it doesn't matter what somebody's sin is it doesn't matter if if somebody's uh struggling with homosexuality or or a porn addiction or if somebody is is dealing with uh, with greed or gluttony or uh, anger or um, whatever your sin of uh, of choice is or, or whatever your problem is or, or whatever somebody else's problem is, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, it doesn't matter where you find yourself or where somebody you know or come across finds themselves. It's the fact that Jesus died for the world. He died for the sinners. He, he came not for the righteous, but for the, the sinners. He, he came to save sinners. And, and I feel like Paul, oftentimes I feel like I'm the chief among sinners, but yet Christ died for me. And so because of that, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm redeemed. You can read in Ephesians chapter 1 and, and Peter in First Peter chapter one and two, those are, are a couple beautiful places where we can find who we are uh, in Christ. But Jesus in, to this church is is looking, and he knows the people because he knows all things, and he sees that they're doing good things, and they've persevered, and they've endured, and for the sake of of Jesus's name, uh, they have been persecuted and 
and beat and mocked and even some have been killed um, and they they hold on they 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 keep the faith they fight the good fight but but right after Jesus says this he he has a warning for us he says but i have this against you you have abandoned the love you had at first remember then how far you have fallen Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, now this is a sobering uh, a message to the church at Ephesus. What he's saying here is he, he has something against you. And I don't know about you, but, but if Jesus come to me and said, I have this against you, my attention is, is set on Christ. Uh, my, my attention has been captured because I'm listening to every word because I want to know what I can do um, to please God and to follow him. And so what he says is you have abandoned the love you had at first. So I've read commentaries about this kind of love and they talk about this being a brotherly love for each other, that they had they had fallen out of fellowship with one another. But I don't believe that to be the case because the word that's used here is actually agape Love and this is a, a word that Brother Christian can can do a lot more justice to than than I can. But it, the word agape is is an unconditional, never ending, godly type love. It's a type of love that that Christ has for me because I'm his his child. It, it's a it's a love that doesn't end, a love that's not conditional. Isn't it great to know that your that, that Jesus's love for you isn't conditional? That means that you can rest in Jesus's finished work because God is pleased with you. You rest in God's favor. And so we have this agape love for us coming straight from God the Father because of Christ the Son. And so because of the word of agape here, I don't believe that this is a brotherly love because the the type of love that was the brotherly love was like a phileo love, uh, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, which is uh, the city of brotherly love, right? And so this isn't a brotherly love, but it's an unconditional love. And so what's happening here in Ephesus is the the ones who God has, has saved because of Christ's finished work on the cross have gotten a big head and they have forgotten where they came from. They've forgotten that that they need Jesus' sustaining grace as much as they need his saving grace. And so what I want us to to really consider today is as we continue to uh, to contemplate and to meditate on God's word, is I want us to to think about areas in in our lives where we have a big head. You know, I, I look at the church today, and there was a uh, I, I'm a member of a pastors group, and there was a poll that was out that um, asked the pastors if there was a, a man that was living with a woman, but they weren't married, and, and the man got saved, would you baptize him? And and I said, yeah, without a doubt. To my surprise, uh, 95% of the pastors said they would not. 
And uh, what, one thing that shocks me is that if the, if the Holy Spirit, who is God, is willing to baptize an individual in the blood of Jesus, which is the spiritual act of salvation that happens on the inside of a person. That's what John says. Uh, that's what Jesus says in John chapter three when he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, "You must be born again or born from above." That's when the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the blood of Christ and, and gives you new life. It's what uh, God says in Ezekiel that He'll take our heart of of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And so what? What they're saying is that the Holy Spirit will baptize a person, but the disciples shouldn't baptize somebody in water, symbolizing something that happens on the outside. And and what my my biggest problem with that is that we have gotten so consumed with our ability, co- so consumed with with our strength, so consumed with how good we are at keeping God's commandment that that too often I, I think we've become the Pharisees, that that we're twice as fit, that, that we're making disciples twice as fit for hell as we are, that, that we're nothing but whitewashed tombs. We look pretty on, on the outside, but uh, but there's nothing but dead men's bones on, on the inside. And, and this is maybe a little bit of an an exaggeration, but but my fear is that, that when we become... These people that that look down on everybody else, and that when we see um, other people as less because of their sin or because of the way they struggle, especially if it's simply because they struggle in an area different than us, um, we're putting ourselves in a very dangerous place. There is one judge over both the living and the dead, and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now. Am I to to judge? Yes, I can judge um, somebody by their fruits. Yes, I can judge um, different activities. Yes, I can judge in order um, to uplift, encourage, and even correct my brother. But should I judge for the reason or, or for the purpose of to tell somebody whether um, – uh, they can be saved or not because their sin is different than mine. Absolutely not. That is not my job. That's not my role. My role is to go out and tell other people who desperately need the loving, kindness, grace, and mercy of a Savior that there is a Savior who loves them, who died for them, who has a plan and a purpose for their life. And so what I want us to, to really think about today is, is how we have become like the Pharisees. When we become like the Pharisees, we are endangering those around us. And, and what I mean by that is, is, is this. Jesus was talking to the disciples one day. Uh, and he said, and this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus before the ascension. Um, he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound um, in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And, and it, that's a, a very complicated and, and debated scripture. But the basic meaning of that, or the, what Jesus is saying, is that 
you are going to go and you're going to make disciples of all nations. I'm going to give you the power and authority to do that. And wherever you go and preach this message, I will save souls. That is people being loosed from their eternal chains on earth and in heaven. But when we don't go and we don't preach and we don't teach and we don't baptize and when we don't disciple, then people will never hear, believe, and understand the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we become these Pharisees that, that think we're better and so we don't preach the message of grace, when we come, become like Jonah and refuse to go to certain places because of certain sins and because we know that if we do go, even and listen, I, I wouldn't admit this, and I bet you wouldn't either, but I bet you there's been times in, in our lives even if we didn't think about it in this exact way, but there's been times in our lives where we didn't share the gospel. We didn't take the gospel. We didn't share the agape love, never-ending, unconditional love of Jesus with someone because we knew that if we did and they believed that, that they would be saved. And sometimes we just hold grudges. It's not a good thing. It's against what God has commanded us to do, but as, as we struggle with the sin, that is one of the things we, we will continue to, to struggle with. And so what I want to say is this, be careful, because the, the warning to the church in Ephesians was this, that, um, that, that if they did not repent, in, in verse 6, this is what uh, what Jesus said. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from this place unless you repent. Now, Scripture is clear that, that we do not lose our, our salvation. That if we're saved, that means we're bought with a price. And that price was actually an overpayment for our sin. And so what Jesus is saying is he's not saying that he's going to take our salvation away. Well, what he's saying is that our influence will be lost. What does a, a candlestick do? A candlestick holds a candle and a candle lights up an area so that you can see to do things. Our light, the, the light of Christ that we reflect is to help people see the goodness of of God, to, to see how God has saved us, how he's changed us. And so if he's taken away our candlestick, he's not taken away our salvation, but he's taken away our influence. And, and so what Jesus is doing here is not threatening to take away our salvation. He's telling us that if we lose our love, that unconditional love that he has for us, if we lose it, then our candle burns out. We're no longer reflecting the love and the grace and the mercy of our great God and Savior. And if we do that, then our candle won't burn. And if our candle doesn't burn, then there's no use in, 
in the candlestick being there. And so it's not even Christ who has taken away our influence. When our influence is taken away, it's taken away by us. If Brother Rob, if his candlestick is, is taken, it's because my candle's not burning. It's because I'm not sharing the love of Christ. Are you sharing the love of Christ even with the least of these, as Jesus would say? Are you feeding the hungry? Are you clothing the naked? Are you visiting those in prison? Are you caring for the sick? Now, I don't mean are you actually doing those specific things, although those are really good things to do. But are you providing for people? Are you showing God's love? Are you being gracious? Are you sharing the mercy and the grace of God? If not, you're in danger. You're in danger of your, your, your candle burning out. And if your candle burns out, there's no reason for you to have your candlestick anymore. Doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation. But I've seen many brothers and sisters lose, lose their influence. Lose their influence. We, we've seen even churches lose their influence. In the current climate of the radical, sinful culture that we live in today, our churches have lost our influence. Why? Because we've forgotten the love we had at first. The love that we have for God that's unconditional, but also the love that we have for each other. The love that we have for the lost. The love we have for those who are in the middle of sin right now. The ones who are, who are out partying and drinking right now. The ones that are currently high on, on drugs right now. The ones who are committing sexual sins of all kinds right now. God loves them. And he's called you to witness to and show love to the least of the people who are in your sphere of influence. I'll end with this. Today, if you go to Asia Minor, Minor which is current day Turkey, and you go to uh, the town that was once Ephesus, uh, you won't see people for miles and miles and miles. All you will see is, is ruins. Not only did, did Ephesus lose its influence, the church at Ephesus, their candle burned out. Their, their candle burned out and God removed their lampstand. There's no longer a lampstand. There's no longer a church in Ephesus because Ephesus did not return to the love they had at first. Does that mean that the people at Ephesus did not, that they were not saved? No, that's not what that meant. That, that's not what that means. Does that mean that um, 
that they're terrible people. No, that's not what that means. That means that the influence that we have over people and nations, the influence we have to change culture is lost when we lose our godly, unconditional love, even for the ungodly. God proved his love in this way, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. There's a world out there, a world of sinners, desperately needing the love, grace, and mercy of a Savior who died for them. So let me ask you this question. How is your love? I know I have some soul searching to do. I think you will too. Let me pray for you. And then I'll close this out today. Father, we thank you so much for this day and for all your many blessings. God, I thank you so much for the godly men and women in my life that show me your love, that agape love, that never-ending love, the, the love that is not conditional on my performance, that is not conditional on what I do or what I don't do or how I act, but God, the, a love that is based on who I am in Christ. God, I thank you for that love that you have for me. I thank you the, for the love that you have in other brothers and sisters that, that have been shared with me. God, I pray that for everyone listening to this, God, I, I pray that you send people into their lives that would have that kind of love for them because you have that kind of love for them. But God, also, I pray that you help each and every one of us to share your love, your unconditional, never-ending, eternal love. God, help us to be your hands and feet. God, help us to be a, a, a shining light, a city on a hill where our influence is, is reaching far and wide, where our candle is burning bright and, and our candlestick is in no danger of being removed. God, help us to return to our first love, that first love being the love that you had for us, that we return to you and everybody else. God, help us to have that kind of love. Help us to love unconditionally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today on the Faith 168 podcast. I look forward to, to doing this with Brother Christian next week and, in, and getting to, to talk with you some more as we try to live life 168 hours a week for Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. We love you guys. If you have any questions, concerns, or prayer requests for us, please get a hold of us and we'll be praying for you. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith 168 Podcast and send us a message. It can be a prayer request, or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating. Just send us a message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again in 168 hours.